Uh, today, I get to continue this series that we've been going through on miracles called That You May Believe. We've been looking at the seven miracles that happen in the book of John uh, before the crucifixion. The Apostle John chooses seven miracles that he really focuses on from the life of Jesus to teach us a lot about who Jesus is and his mission and how God wants to help us. Today we're going to look at John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can open up to John 5. Now I want you, I want to ask you something. I want you to think about, is there a time in your life where you had a problem that didn't seem to have any kind of solution? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you had some issue and it wasn't clear how or if it was possible to solve it? I had an issue like that this week with my bathtub drain, okay? It's probably not what you were thinking about, was it? But this week... I got that. It was the, it's the kids' bathroom, and if, if you have a kids' bathroom, you know how the kids' bathroom can be, right? Uh, is that kids' bathroom wasn't draining, and so I, I was like, I, I know how to, I know how to take care of this. And don't worry, this story's not going to get too gross. Don't worry. But um, I was like, I know how to take care of this. And so the bathtub in that bathroom, it's got a, it's got a stopper. It's got a lift and turn stopper. And we have two bathtubs in our house, and I had already decluttered the previous one like last month. So I thought, foolishly, I thought, I know how to take off this, this bathtub stopper because it'll be just like my other one. No, they're not the same, are they? They're not. They never, they never, no plumber ever puts the same stopper twice in a house, I learned. So they want to mess with you. So there I am. I'm like, I, I know how to get this thing off. I'm just going to spin it off. And I spin it and spin it for like two hours. Nothing happens, right? It's, it's still there. Then I'm like, okay, you got to pull up on a, a little bit and spin it. Nothing. And then I'm like, okay, I know there's other kinds of stoppers. Sometimes there's a little screw on the side. No screw on this one. I take the top off. And sometimes you can put a screwdriver down to get it to, un, uh, to, get it to unscrew. Nothing. And I'm like, am I really stymied by a bathroom stopper? Like, I can't get this thing off. And so finally, I did the only thing that you can do when you don't know where to turn in life. I went to YouTube, and I was like, and I found, I finally found my stopper on YouTube. And it was like the most ridiculous kind of stopper to ever put on. But I was like really stymied for a while. Like, how do you get this thing off? Now, here's the thing. We all have problems in life. And sometimes those problems are not so easy to fix. And sometimes we have problems in life and we go to Google, we go to YouTube, and we don't find answers, right? Sometimes we have problems in our lives, in our relationships, and you go to a friend and you ask your friend for help, and your friend's like, man, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. I don't, I don't even want to get involved in this situation. It's too messy. Or maybe you go to specialists, you go to experts, and they can't help you. Have you ever had a problem like that? Maybe in your marriage, maybe with, in a relationship with friends, maybe an illness in your life where you needed help, but you didn't know where to turn. Well, that's the kind of problem that we encounter in John chapter 5. In this story in John 5, Jesus chooses a man who is helpless. He's a man who's been helpless for 38 years. And here's the thing, I'm going to spoil this story. I'm going to spoil the story and tell you that Jesus does a miracle in this man's life. Now, you probably already knew that because this, this is a series on miracles. So if I'm like, there's a guy who has a problem, you're like, I know how this story ends. Jesus heals him. And that's true. That's where we're going. Jesus is going to heal this guy. But I think that Jesus specifically chooses this guy because he was in a particularly helpless and hopeless situation in his own mind. So if you can relate to that at all, I think you're going to really appreciate that story today. So let's jump into John chapter 5 and take a look at what the word of the Lord says to us. Oh, I got a little excited there. Here's what God's word says. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. 
Okay, so if you were here last week, last week we looked at the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus heals an official son. This next story takes place immediately after that. Right after that, Jesus returned to Jerusalem. He's there for one of the holy days. In the Jewish culture, there are lots of feasts, there's lots of festivals. We don't know which one this is. It could have been one of a number of them. It doesn't really matter for the story. The point is that Jesus is there in Jerusalem. And we read that he's inside the city. Now, in the ancient world, there were walls that were built around cities. If you know the, the story of Jericho in the Bible and uh, Joshua fighting the, the city of Jericho, you know that there, it's, it's a walled city and God's people win because the walls come tumbling down. Well, in the ancient world, you built walls around your city, and so there are walls around Jerusalem. And we read that Jesus is near the Sheep Gate which is just one of the openings, one of the gates in the city. It's along the northern edge of the city. So he's along the northern edge of the city, kind of in the northeast corner. And there we read there is a pool called Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda. And that pool had five covered porches. Uh, what, what they would do in the ancient world is around a pool or some outside gathering area, they would have these pillars. So there were five pillars, and usually those pillars had some kind of roof on them, some sort of covering. Uh, so it was kind of a nice area where you could hang out and stuff. And that's what's, what's going on. There's this pool, and it's got five big columns, and it's got a big roof over the top of it. And there's lots of people gathered around. In fact, it says there's crowds of people, and especially not just crowds of any kind of people, but crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, that were laying on the porches. So you can imagine 2,000 years ago, there's this massive community pool, right? Like the Brigham City Pool. This massive community pool. But instead of just having like a lot of cool slides, there's a lot of sick people around it. And the reason there were a lot of sick people there is because they thought that this pool had had healing properties, had healing abilities. Now, it wasn't a man-made pool. It was a natural pool, a, natural, uh, a pool formed by a natural spring. And there was a superstitious belief that was going on at the time. And the superstitious belief was that every once in a while, an angel would show up at the pool, would stir the waters up, and once the angel did that and the waters were stirred up, the first person who got into the pool would be healed of whatever their diseases were pretty cool, right? That's a pretty cool, pretty cool trick by the angel. Now, that's not a real miracle of the Bible. That's superstition. But that's why there were so many people around. Because you can imagine, if you were sick in the ancient world, there were doctors, but they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know that germs were a thing, right? They didn't know about anything like that. And so they thought, well, if you could be the first person in the pool, you could get healed. So that was the superstition. So there's all these people around the pool. Now, um, the reality is that this was a natural spring. The reason that the waters would bubble up from time to time is because there was a natural spring that was feeding it, and it was an intermittent, in, intermittent spring, and uh, it, would, it would bubble up, and the water was, had a reddish, reddish tint to it because, um, because of the minerals and stuff. And so people thought this was like a medicinal pool, but it was just a natural thing, you know, like you'd see at Yellowstone or whatever, except not scalding hot, you know. And so, so that's, that's the pool. So they're at this pool. And while they're at this pool, uh, it says that one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So we meet this guy, and he's been sick for 38 years. Now, that's a really long time to be sick, right? That's a really long time to be ill. In fact, he had been ill longer than most people in his world lived. The average life expectancy for a man in Jesus' day was 40 years. 
So this guy had lived with an illness he, he, longer than most people even walked the earth. Many people walked the earth in his day. He, for 38 years, he had been stricken with an illness. And we don't exactly know what the illness was. The Bible doesn't say. We don't know if he was paralyzed, if he was lame, if he was just so, so ill with some sort of uh, affliction, some sort of disease that he couldn't move real well. But he's been sick for a really long time. And this is the guy whom Jesus chooses to heal. This is the person that Jesus says, I'm going to do a miracle in this guy's life. Now, as we, as we kind of get closer to this miracle, I want you to remember what a miracle is. A miracle is a special work of God that reveals his power and his character so that you might believe in him. That's what a miracle is. A miracle is a special work of God. And I like to emphasize that every week because sometimes we think that God's not really at work in our lives. Or we forget that God's at work in our lives. You know, we just go through our day, we do our thing, go to work, eat dinner, pay taxes, and we forget that there's a God who's at work in our lives. But God's at work in your life. Every moment of the day, God knows what you're up to, God knows what you're doing, God has a plan, he's trying to work in your life, he's trying to do things in your life. A miracle is a special work of God. Something that God does that makes us go, wow, I didn't see that coming. So walking on water, raising someone from the dead, right? Special work of God. He doesn't do that very often. Every once in a while he does. And so what we have here today is a miracle of God, a special work of God. But God is always at work in your life. I want you to remember that. So as we think about this guy outside the community pool, hoping to get healed, knowing it's probably not going to happen for him, I think we can identify with this guy a lot, even though he lived 2,000 years ago. I think there's a lot of connection between us and him, and I want to start to draw that out for you right now. And, and here's the first way that we can understand this guy. At times, we all feel utterly helpless and don't know where to turn. We all, if you've lived long enough, you've had a moment in your life where you were helpless and you didn't know where to go, didn't know where to turn. A few, few years ago, um, our family, we were sledding. We were sledding up the North Ogden Divide, uh, so a little ways away from here. And that's like my favorite place to sled in, in all of Utah. It's awesome, but it's also super dangerous. It's super treacherous. It's this long roller coaster-like sledding, uh, uh, like, like, like route, I guess. And uh, the, the, the most interesting thing about this, this place to go sledding is that the, the, it terminates in a parking lot. So, like, if you're going too fast, you end up in a parking lot. So children are constantly going over the last snowbank, and you have to have a parent down there to catch them, because otherwise the little ones will just fly off. So, anyway, I was, I was sledding down this, because, you know, I started at the, at the very top to see how fast I could go, because that's pretty foolish. But that was what I did. I started off at the very top, and I was screaming down, and I was going down the hillside, and I, did, and I didn't want to go into the, into the parking lot. I knew that, because I knew that no parent was going to catch me if I went into the parking lot. And so I saw there was a massive snowbank, and I thought, I'm just going to go right into that massive snowbank. And I did, but it wasn't a snowbank. It was ice. That's what I went into. I went into this big block of ice back first. And then I do that, and I crash, and I'm laying there in the ground, and my family's there, and, and my wife's family's there, and they're all laughing at me in that moment, which is super helpful. They're all just, they're laughing at me, and I'm like, I can't move. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, no, I literally can't move right now. I like, I, I like, I hit my back and I'm like, and I'm like, I can't move. I can't do anything. And there's like little children that are like zooming past me, right? On, on saucers. And I was like, please help me. And they like helped me crawl out of harm's way. And I laid in the snow and, and gave my, you know, I was ready to give my spirit up to God. But I, but I lived, but I couldn't walk for like two days. 
And, and you know what it's like to be helpless in life. You know what it's like to, to feel like you're never going to get any better. And so Jesus asks this man, he says, do you want to get well? Now, we'll get back to that question in a moment, but what I, where I want to take you is this man's answer in verse 7. He says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Remember that, that, um, that superstitious belief that the angel was going to stir up the waters? And he says, when the water is stirred up, I don't have anyone to help me in the pool. Someone always gets there ahead of me. And so the man says, I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I have no one to help me. I have no one to t- put me into the pool. I have no one to, to help me get better. He feels like there's nothing he can do to save himself. And he's right. Now, there's this famous saying that you might hear. You might hear it around churchy kind of people. And it says that God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that before? God helps those who help themselves. Little problem with that phrase. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> Nowhere does God say, I'll help you as long as you help yourself. It's not what the Bible says. And if you've said that to someone, now you know you were wrong. So you can go back and apologize. What the Bible does over and over again, it shows that God helps those who can't help themselves. God loves to help those who can't help themselves. God loves to help those who don't know where to turn next, that don't know where to go from here. And that's what's going on in this story, that Jesus is going to help someone who can't help themselves. In fact, this is a guy who is sort of an interesting guy. Um, we don't have time to sort of walk through every part of this story slowly today. I'd encourage you to read this section later today by yourself. It's a really interesting story. Because this guy, you get the sense that this guy wasn't looking for God. What was he looking for? He's looking for a miracle. He's looking for help. He, he was looking for someone to, to, to help him in his situation. But as far as we can tell, he probably wasn't even really pursuing God. He probably wasn't even really that interested in God. And he certainly didn't know who Jesus is. Because after the miracle, after he's, he's healed, he never even realizes who Jesus is. He doesn't catch his name. Because some of the authorities, they come along and they say, hey, well, you know, how did you get healed? What happened? And the guy's like, uh, this guy healed me. He didn't even catch Jesus' name. I hope if Jesus healed me, I would have got his name at least. I would have been like, wait, who can I thank? You know, who, can I, who can I post about on Instagram and, and let him know who, who, who healed me? But this guy, he doesn't. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't even really seem interested in figuring out who Jesus is. He seems a little annoyed by Jesus' question. And then what happens is, uh, what happens is that uh, after he's healed, the Pharisees are upset because it's the Sabbath day, and he's, and he's walking around doing stuff on the Sabbath, and they're like, you're not supposed to do that. And what does the man do? He basically says, well, it's this Jesus' fault. He, he, it's this guy's fault. He healed me. He rats out Jesus to the authorities. So what I'm trying to say is he's not a great guy. He's not a good guy, necessarily. Not a terrible guy, but he's just like us. He's a flawed person who wasn't even really seeking God. But Jesus shows up and is going to do something amazing in his life, going to do something miraculous in his life. In other words, he's a guy who wasn't pursuing God, but God was pursuing him. And that's one of my favorite things to see in the Bible. It's one of my favorite things to see in people's lives. So many times, you know, I'll meet someone who doesn't, no, God doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And just from a human perspective, it looks like, you know, they, they're just not spiritually interested in God at all. But then you dig a little deeper into their story and you find out that God's been at work in their lives. I, I was thinking about a friend of ours, um, Allison. When, when Melanie met Allison, she, she looked from the outside like she didn't even, wasn't interested in religion, wasn't interested in God. She was just trying to meet new friends. She was new to our city, new to our town. And Melanie invited her to church. 
And she seemed like, like the kind of person that just had no time for God, but she came to church. And as we got to know her and as we got to talk to her about God, got to share God's love with her, we found out that her dad had recently become a Christian. I think she had started listening to Caleb. So there wasn't a lot going on there, but God, but God was working, right? God was doing stuff in her life, even though it didn't look like it on the outside. And I just love that. I love it when somebody who it looks like they're so far from God, you find, no, God's actually been at work in their lives, maybe for months, maybe for years, maybe really quietly, but God's been at work in their lives. And so Jesus has been working this guy's life who's hopeless, who's helpless. But here's the thing. This story also shows us the sad reality, reminds us of the sad reality that some people don't want to be helped. That in life, some people choose not to have God help them. They choose not to have God come into their life. Now, I got, I got four kids, and uh, one of my kids... Sometimes when he's doing his homework and his homework's really hard, he gets frustrated. And I understand that because I remember those days, right? You remember those days? You're sitting there and you're like, what, what, what's the point of algebra anyway? You know, who needs that, right? What does it matter how cells divide and how many steps there are? Like, no one's going to ask me in adulthood and they still haven't. So I, I stand by that feeling from high school. But, but I have one of my kids and he gets really frustrated um, when his homework is hard, and I get that, but then he gets really mad. And instead of asking for help, he just stares at his paper. He just stares at it, and he sits in the dining room table, and he's just angry, and he's mad, and he's mad at his teachers, and he's mad at mom and dad, and he's mad at the universe, you know? And it's like, dude, being mad isn't gonna help you. If you want mom and I to help you, we'll help you, but you gotta ask for it. And the reality is that sometimes in our lives, we don't really want help. We might, act, we might pretend like we do, but we really don't. And that gets back to Jesus' question in verse 6. It says that when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Isn't that a weird question? Isn't that an odd question? Don't you think if you, if you walked through the ICU in a hospital and said to people, do you want to get well? well everyone would be like, yeah, <laughs> of course, that's why I'm here. I want to get better. I want to get well. But the reality, reality is we don't always want to get well. We don't always want to give up those things that are problems in our lives. We don't always want to give up those addictive behaviors that are bringing destruction into our lives. We don't always want to give up the things that sabotage our relationships. Maybe we like our addictions more than we want help. We like the attentions that it brings. We like the drama. Maybe we fear giving up the freedom of doing the things that, that are bringing problems into our lives, but we enjoy. Maybe we fear having to submit our lives to God. There's a lot of reasons why people don't want help, but they don't, right? Think about your own life. Think about moments in your own life. Maybe you've had a, a habit, a hang-up, some sort of sin in your life, and you're like, I know I should get rid of this, I know, I, I know this isn't helping me, I know this is hurting me, but you, instead of just giving it up and giving it to God, you've, you've held on to it, because you liked your sin more than the freedom that God offers. That's a real human action that we do. You know, there's uh, something interesting happens in this story after the guy's healed. I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I already told you the end, so you know, there's no suspense here. After the man's healed, something's really interesting. Jesus heals the guy. He says, pick up your mat and walk. We'll see in just a moment. And it's the Sabbath day. And he's, so he's walking around with his mat that he's been sitting on. And some Pharisees see him. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And the Pharisees had made all sorts of rules in Jesus' day, man-made rules, and they put them up on the same level as God's rules. 
And so one of the rules that they had was you couldn't do, well, God's law said, keep the Sabbath holy, don't do any work on the Sabbath. That's what we saw in the Ten Commandments series. That's a good law. That's from God. And, and it was really particular to their time before the, before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they made all sorts of other laws to go along with the Sabbath law. And evidently, one of the laws they had was you couldn't walk around with your yoga mat on the Sabbath. Okay? That, evidently, that is a law. If you read the story, just read it. If you read the story, that's evidently one of their laws. You couldn't walk around with your mat on the Sabbath. It was considered work. Even though the guy didn't get paid for that, they said that was your job. But I think what's so astounding is you have these Pharisees. They're the religious leaders. They're like the pastors of the day, priests of the day. And they see this man who has been ill for 38 years, and now he's walking and he's been restored and he's healthy, and all they can say is, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you shouldn't be walking around. You shouldn't be carrying your yoga mat. Who, give, what, who gave you the right to break our rules? I mean, talk about missing the point. They totally missed it. Why? Because the Pharisees didn't want to be healed. That, that's, what, that's what is clear to me. As I read the Gospels, the stories of the life of Jesus over and over again, the religious leaders of the day, they didn't want God to heal them. They wanted to hold on to their power. They wanted to hold on to their way of life. They wanted to hold on to whatever it is, their legalism, and they didn't want Jesus to heal them. So when they saw Jesus heal people, they got mad. Man, sometimes we don't want to be healed. Sometimes we don't want to admit to God, I can't, have, I can't handle my own life. Sometimes we don't want to give up control of our lives to God. Sometimes we want to say, no, God, I don't need you to save me. I'm going to keep trying to save myself. So we try to be good enough and religious enough and moral enough. And, and where does that get us? It just gets us further and further away from God. It makes us more and more miserable. But as humans, we do that. What Jesus is telling us, what he's asking us in that question, would you like to get well? What Jesus is saying is you need to get to the point where you're ready to give up. Stop trying to heal yourself. Stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to rescue yourself and let God do it because he's the only one who can. Stop trying to pretend like your sin isn't a big deal. Stop holding on to the things that are keeping you from God. Sadly, lots of people say, no, I'm not ready to be healed. I love my alcohol too much, my pornography too much, my pride, my money, gossiping, whatever it is, I love it too much. But Jesus says to you and I, he gives us this opportunity, do you want to be healed? And that's what he says to the man. And this leads us to our answer for today, the answer in the story, which is the answer to our helplessness is to trust and obey Jesus. The end to our helplessness is to say, God, would you save me and would you rescue me? If you're at the point in your life where there's something in your life where you feel helpless and hopeless, or you feel like you can't do it on your own, you feel like you can't save yourself, you can't rescue yourself, you can't get freedom on your own, if that's where you are today, you're actually in a pretty good place. <laughs> You're in a pretty good place because you're ready to admit that you can't handle life. You can't rescue yourself. That's a I know it's a scary place to be. It's a vulnerable place to be. But that's, if you're in that place, that's when God can use you. And that's where this man is, right? He, he doesn't know where else to turn. 38 years he's been helpless. 38 years. I wonder, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I kind of wonder I wonder if Jesus had shown up 10 years earlier, you know, after this guy had only been sick for 28 years, and he said to the man, do you want to be well? I wonder if the guy would have been like, no, no, I don't. Or, or he would have just maybe not said that, but he just would have ignored Jesus. Maybe it took him 38 years before he was ready to be healed by God. I can tell you there's times in my life with my own sin where I know God was saying, Scott, do you want to be healed? Scott, do you want to be healed? And I wasn't saying no with my words, but I was saying no with my actions. I wasn't ready to be real with God, to be honest with God, to be honest with other people in my life. You ever been there? 
where you're, where, you, where you're saying no to God, at least with the way you live your life. And God will keep, he'll keep allowing, you know, our, our sin to, to mess us up until we're at the point where we say, okay, God, I'm ready to invite you to come in and invite you to heal. And that's where this man thankfully finally got to in verses eight and nine. Here's the miracle. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Isn't that an amazing miracle? Isn't that amazing? 38 years. 38 years of paralysis, of illness, hoping against hope that one day someone would just say, okay, it's, it's, it's Bill's turn to get in the water first. You know, let's, let's put Bill in the water first. That wasn't ever going to happen. Then one day the Son of God he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. What do miracles do? They show us a special work of God that reveals God's power. You see God's power here, right? You see God's power that's greater than every disease, every illness, anything we would ever face. And it says that instantly the man was healed. It didn't say that like, oh, he slowly got better over time, you know. And sometimes God works that way. Sometimes God heals us, and it goes on for weeks or months, the healing. But in this case, Jesus wanted there to be no doubt he instantly heals the man and restores him to health. And I can only imagine what it would be like to, to, to be maybe a friend of, I've called him Bill now, so Bill, I'm a friend of Bill's. And you, maybe, you've, maybe you've got your own issues, your own illnesses, and you've, and you, or, or you're just hanging out at the community pool that day, and you see Bill, and you see him walking around, and you're like, what? <laughs> has, he been, has he been like lying for 38 years? What's going on? He's walking around with his yoga mat. What's going on? What's he doing? What's happening? He's been healed by the Son of God. That's what's happening. And that's the healing that God alone can bring. That's the healing that can only come through Jesus Christ. But you have to be ready to receive that healing. And here's the good news, is that God comes to every single one of us and he says, do you want to be healed? And it's up to you how you're going to answer. The greatest healing that we need in our lives is to be healed from our sins. You know, the Bible says that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of God's standard. All of us have done our own thing, gone our own way. There's no perfect people here at Alpine Church. Everyone needs forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says the only way to be forgiven of your sins is to trust in Jesus, to believe that Jesus Christ, God himself, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, but he died on a cross, kind of like that one over there. He died on a cross, not because he'd done anything wrong, but he went to the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, the sins of the whole world, and specifically your sins. Everything you've done in the past, everything you're up to now, and everything you're going to do in the future that's sinful, Jesus paid for that on the cross. And the Bible says if you believe that message, if you trust in, in, Jesus, and his, Jesus, and his power to forgive and to heal, if that's if that's the deepest conviction of your heart, then you are forgiven of your sins. It's not about what you do or what you contribute. It's all about what Jesus does. And so if you're here today and you never trusted in Jesus like that, today can be the day that you, you can say, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed. But if you're here today too and you're a Christian, Jesus still might be saying the same thing to you, right? You might have been a, maybe you've been a Christian for one year, 10 years, 35, 45 years. Jesus still might be asking, do you want to be healed? And guess what? It's still up to you. It's still up to you to receive God's grace in your life, God's forgiveness of your life, and to say, yes, God, I want to be healed. 
I want to be healed of my addiction. I want to be healed of my anger issues. I want to be healed of my materialism. I want to be healed of whatever it is in our lives. And just like Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk, Jesus says, be forgiven of your sins. Even us as Christians, he says, be forgiven of your sins. I paid for your sins at the cross, and now go and live differently. Jesus says at the end of the story, when he sees the man a second time, he says, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. It's a good message for those who are followers of Christ. Jesus says, stop sinning. What does that mean? It means take radical steps. If you have an addiction, you have a hang-up that you can't overcome, you probably need to get into our recovery group. You probably need to get with a mentor. You probably need to not only talk to God about it, but somebody else. You need to take drastic steps. You need to get rid of the alcohol, right? Or you need to cut the cord to the computer. Or, or you need to be honest with, with people, your own family, what the things that you're struggling with. If your life is all about selfishness, you need to start serving and saying, okay, how can I take the focus on my, off myself and how can I start putting it on other people? You need to say, okay, I, I need to stop hanging around friends who are going to just lure me into bad decisions and I need to, to change who's influencing me in my life. I need to stop, start putting an end to all those, all those things that I do that trigger sinful habits in my life. That's how real practically Jesus invites us to be healed. The healing is not only a momentary, uh, a moment of forgiveness that we all ex can experience in Christ, but it's also an opportunity to live a new kind of life. Because here's the deal, and, and, I'll, and I'll wrap up here, but here's the deal. We all know what it's like, if you're a Christian, we all know what it's like to have a sinful habit in our lives and say, okay, God, I've messed up, I've done it again, please forgive me, and then what happens? A week later, 48 hours later, two hours later, we're in it again, right? And Jesus still offers healing. His forgiveness never runs out. His grace never runs out. But here's what he calls us to do, to receive his forgiveness and then to obey, to take steps of obedience, to take steps that are gonna give us the freedom that is ours in Christ. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so if you're ready for that, man, I just, I just pray that you would make not only a commitment to God, but, but invite someone else into that walk with you and experience the healing that Jesus has for every one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for our Savior. Thank you that he died on the cross for us. Thank you that we don't have to live lives that are about our sin, that are about our past, that are about our addictions, Lord, but we can live lives of true freedom in Jesus Christ. And so, God, I just pray for anyone now, Lord, who maybe is struggling with something. Maybe they're like, I've, I've struggled for 38 years, or it feels like I've struggled for 38 years. May today be the day where they find deliverance and freedom in Jesus Christ. God, you are Lord of all things. You are greater than our disease. You're greater than our illness, and you're greater than our sin, and you're greater than death itself. And so, God, may we find forgiveness, hope, transformation, and life in you. Who have we el who, whom else have we to turn to but you, God? We trust you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.